0: Blog Talk Radio. 2016 edition of Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peacock and I'm glad to see people here in the chat room. Sorry for the later start today. I had a hard conflict at noon. Uh, I'll tell you about it at some point, no big deal, but it's uh, something that actually had to be there at noon, and uh, everything's cool. And I'm here happy to talk to you guys today. The topic for today is a Republican Party, if you can keep it. Yeah, I couldn't resist the little turn of phrase there. If you go to DontLetItGo.com, you will see the program notes that I've got set up for today's show. And you'll see at the very top... I have a link to the Jezebels website because the Jezebels, which, you know, thanks to them, I have my intro music. They have a song called Mace Spray that is the intro to this show, and they have just announced a tour. Uh, I think I told you last week that they had announced the Australian dates of the tour, which in and of itself was tremendous news from my perspective, because the keyboardist Heather Shannon had been... uh, being treated for ovarian cancer, and it sounded like it was pretty serious. And of course, ovarian cancer is a fairly aggressive cancer, and you just don't know how someone is going to do. But it appears that she is doing well and strong enough to go out on tour, not only in Australia, but also United States and Canada. And those dates are on the website. You can find them, like I said, at the link at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. Highly recommended. Uh, people are saying, "Have you seen the new video?" Yes, I have. The new video. It's very interesting because when you listen to the song, you don't necessarily get, you know, the idea of what they're going to do with it in the video. They will, in effect, have somebody interpret the song visually and do something that you might not have anticipated just by listening with the song. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. But yes, they, they did it well. It was a, um, an interesting twist. On Smile So uh, yeah do go check out the video They have a Facebook page where they post A lot of all this information as well If you're over there on Facebook Um, so yeah so go to The blog DontLetItGo.com You can see that I put right under That link About the Jezebels The latest atrocity You know it seems like I mean there's been two different Atrocities in Germany This week and it you know one, one time I commented on my Facebook page that it was the case that people would use their Facebook profile pictures in order to show support for the latest victim of an atrocity. So, for example, last fall, at the, it was Bataclan, I believe is the name of the club in France, that was savagely and viciously attacked by a bunch of scumbag jihadists. Uh, That was on, I believe, a Friday the 13th of November, if I recall correctly, because I had had surgery on the 12th of November. And thankfully, nobody told me that news while I was recovering because it was a kind of tough recovery for me. Nobody told me the news until I was over the worst of the recovery. I was glad not to have heard about that horrible thing. But, you know, what did people do? They uh, used sort of an overlay of the French flag on their profile pictures. And and I did this as well when I was up and able to do it. And then of course, recently with the attacks in Nice, we did it again. And, uh, you know, with Orlando, we also did the, um, you know, sort of the rainbow overlay to show solidarity with the LBGT, add extra letters as you see fit community um, as well. And, you know, But now what's happening, what the police are being viciously attacked, then you have Germans being attacked. I don't know if this latest attack is one of jihad or not. I've just been barely getting the news. Uh, As I understand it, latest from New York Times is what I've got, and they have it via the Associated Press. They say that six have been killed in a Munich mall shooting and that there is a manhunt underway. So if you are in Germany, I guess... Uh, If you're in Munich, in particular in Germany, but maybe anywhere around Munich, who knows how fast this guy could go. You might want to stay in where you're safe for a while until they catch the either single shooter or multiple shooters. So the manhunt was underway Friday for a shooter or shooters who opened fire at a shopping mall in Munich, killing six people and wounding others. The city transit system shut down, and police asked people to stay inside their homes and otherwise avoid public places. At the moment, they say no culprit has been arrested. The search is taking place at high speed, they say. Uh, The city of Munich sent a smartphone alert telling people stay indoors, etc. Uh, Police say witnesses reported seeing three people with guns near the olympic olympia and there's no way i can pronounce this um i cough Sentrum. oh i that, i botched it i'm very sorry to the german speaking listeners anyway uh a mall there and um the the spokeswoman claudia Quenzel told the associated press there were several dead and wounded and that didn't provide exact numbers uh, so now they're saying six people were killed, but maybe that toll is going to go up. You'd think if there were three shooters that more than six people might end up dead, but maybe we have a lot of wounded. We don't know. So I guess the news is going to come out about this. Um, we don't know you know, anything, of course, at this point about the shooters in this case. We do know that on Monday it was a 17-year-old Afghan who wounded four people in an ax and knife attack on a train near uh, Wurzburg. Is that how you pronounce it? And then there was another woman as well, who was wounded outside as this guy tried to flee. He was shot and killed by police. That particular scumbag, the Islamic state has been claiming responsibility for a lot of this, but authorities in Germany have said that that team, that 17 year old Afghan likely acted alone. You know, again, Even if this person acted alone, was he inspired by the Islamic State? It appears that, you know, probably he he was. And so, this idea that you'd say, okay, well, they acted alone. (sighs) Anyway, this is the latest atrocity, and it is an atrocity that is going to point up some of the things that we heard in Trump's speech or that other people heard in Trump's speech, because I did not hear Trump's speech, by the way, I chose to read. Trump's speech. I decided to employ the method that I have used for analyzing Obama's speeches because I've decided that if we do have a President Trump, I'm going to find listening to him about as appetizing as listening to Obama. So I went ahead and printed out 13 pages of Trump's speech. So we will talk about that. And we've got a bunch of other things over at the blog, like I said, at don'tletitgo.com, including Cruz's speech. Cruz's refusal to endorse Trump, people talking about what Cruz's speech meant, you know, was it a good thing, was it a bad thing that he went there and spoke and didn't endorse and all of those things. If you want to call in and talk about anything that's on the list there, I've also got, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos being booted off of Twitter just one week, right, after I was praising him here on the show. He's booted off of Twitter entirely Uh, It's really, really sad. I talked about, you know, that it's too bad he's gay and all that kind of stuff. I made that joke. And next thing you know, he's booted off Twitter. Connection? No, no, of course not. It's just Twitter. I mean, you know, we've talked about that before. The climate, the uh, culture of censorship that we have going on in some of these so-called, you know, forums for ideas in Twitter and Facebook and, and everywhere else, right? Google searches and stuff like that. This is another Example of that so we will talk about that and also of course the 28 pages of the 9/11 report that were finally released and that show connections of people in the Saudi government with 9/11 uh, I guess it was just greeted with a whole big yawn and everything given all the news of this week I don't I, you know neither Trump nor Cruz actually even spoke about it in their Republican convention. Uh, speeches. So that's really kind of interesting as well. But if you want to talk about those stories and more Turkey, I also have on the agenda, the, what they would call abortive coup in Turkey and and the ramifications, the repercussions of that, you can call me at 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. If you want to talk about these topics, I know that Ed who's been over in the chat room has said that he wants to talk about at least two of those things. I definitely don't know if I want to get into a, a debate about, oh, Ed says that there's a reason for the yawn about the 28 pages. Okay, I'm going to be interested to hear this. Should I go ahead and have you on about that? I don't know. Let me, let me go ahead and get into the, the speeches of the convention first, right? Because this is our, our topic for the day is a Republican party, if you can keep it And the question is, do we have anything like what we call a Republican Party after the Republican Party nominates Donald Trump? And, you know, many of us, we've talked about Donald Trump and some of the things that he said in the debates over the show. But I would find nothing kind of more fitting than to go through his acceptance speech and tell you what I see there. And tell you what it means for a Republican Party to nominate this person as its, its nominee. You know, people say, okay, well, it's not going to be as bad as Hillary. I'm trying to see where, where's, what's the way that Ed put it here in the chat room, because my three words, and this will mean something to those who are familiar with objectivism, but I'm going to explain as I go along. My three words when I look at this speech are primacy of consciousness, but he has five words, Ed says, not as catastrophic as Hillary. Okay. if still catastrophic, though. Am I going to vote for it? Uh, if you Google something called the trolley problem, which is a problem in philosophy, you'll see why I'm not voting for either trump nor hillary or you know at least you'll get a a snapshot of my evaluation of trump and hillary and my tactic of dealing with the choice of not you know dealing with one or the other suppose i know that if i don't do anything it's probably going to be hillary that's elected and that maybe if i voted for trump i could have some effect in that regard does that mean i want to vote for trump no not per the trolley problem so you can check that out um Sally in the chat room is talking about Cruz's speech. Most memorable, Republicans booing to drown out Cruz's voice when he spoke about liberty and the Constitution. Now, you know, what's interesting. He spoke more about freedom. Freedom, he used that term over and over. Liberty, not as much. The word freedom he used over and over. And I'm wondering if he used the word freedom in a way to keep people Uh, more tied to the Republican Party and less likely to jump ship to the Libertarian Party, which is happening among a lot of, you know, prior self-titled Republicans. They're jumping over to the Libertarian Party and and Gary Johnson as a refuge for some sort of sanity. So I'm, I'm wondering if that was a deliberate choice and this would play into our attempts to divine what it is that Ted Cruz has in mind when he goes to the Republican convention where he knows that, you know, the whole purpose of the convention is to crown Trump as the nominee. And yet he is not going to endorse him. Instead, he's going to congratulate him and in effect tell people don't necessarily vote for this guy, vote your conscience, vote for principles of freedom. Uh, Some people were saying, well, Maybe he is actually trying to, you know, say that he's leaving the Republican Party. And I was a little skeptical about that. And this choice of the word freedom over liberty, when I was thinking about this morning, I was thinking this sort of plays into it, this idea of freedom. Uh, In the chat room, Roger Williams has posted a link to Dr. Michael Hurd's interpretation of Ted Cruz's speech. Not so much interpretation, but his evaluation of what it means to make that speech instead of coming there and either endorsing or refusing to speak altogether. You know, what is it that he was trying to do? Uh, Ed says a swing and a miss from Dr. Hurd. I tend to disagree with her too. I think that whether we say that Cruz was there still trying to save some remnants of the Republican Party or whether Cruz was there to say a farewell to the Republican Party and bring the good people away from the party with him. Those are two different types of interpretations you can make of that speech. I think it's clear that he was not endorsing Trump, okay? Um, Whichever of those two you make, I think that there's a value in doing one or both of those things. Maybe he was doing it sort of as a, a litmus test, right? He'll come there and use the word freedom and talk about these principles. And depending on the reaction that he gets, he's either saying goodbye to the party or he's going to be there working with the remnants, the rubble that remains of the former Republican party. Um now, Ed says, still, while well, I'll eat up speeches with a the theme of freedom, I don't think it was particularly effective in today's political context. <laughs> Corey says he's going to write in me for the election. I don't know how effective that is going to be. Maybe we need to write somebody in who is better known. But it might be kind of cool if you could start a buzz about my show by writing me in. I, I wouldn't mind that at all. And, and by the way, I do have some interesting and exciting news About the expansion of this show soon. And those of you who are supporters of my show, you can go to don'tletitgo.com and find out how to become a supporter. You're going to be the first to hear, which will happen very soon. But yeah, as it stands right now, um, I'm a pretty small show. I would like to get more voice. No matter who is president next time, I think it's going to be good to analyze. Uh, what they do. And, you know, even if we get Gary Johnson, Gary Johnson has tremendous flaws and is going to be, you know, need to be evaluated and criticized in an intelligent way. So definitely do that. Um, So I got a little bit off track because I was sitting here reading you guys here in the chat room. Let me go ahead and dive into, I want to get into Trump's speech first, right? Because we want to say, okay, what, what did this guy tell you? that he plans on doing and what kind of a person is he can you tell this from the speech of course this speech was written by speech writers so it's not going to be as revealing as you know kind of remarks that he gives off the cuff but it's still going to be him he still had to approve this and he's hiring these speech writers so it's definitely going to say something about him and, and what we have in store uh, you know he starts out I humbly accept your nomination. Yeah. When does he ever do anything humbly? Not exactly. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but some of the, uh, you know, bragging that he has done has been uh, a bit offensive. Uh, When he says at the beginning, he has the whole thing about the 14 million votes and most votes in the history of the Republican Party and, you know, the stats of the Democrats and stuff. I mean, there's two things to say. First of all, should you really brag about the fact that a whole bunch of Democrats crossed over to vote for you when one of the potential interpretations of that is that they wanted to make sure that you get nominated because they know that you can be defeated by Hillary in the general election. They thought you would be the easiest to topple. So maybe you shouldn't brag about this. The other thing is the way that he's talking about this, the 14 million, the 60% more votes and the blah, 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 it sounds like some of these success guru guys I don't know if you've heard some of the stuff from like Evan Pagan, Brendan Burchard, and these guys, they all follow a formula when they're doing their presentations and they start out building what they call credibility and credibility is just what do other people say about you? What what sort of testimonials or statistics can you throw at people about all the people who love you? And that's what he's doing there in the beginning. Um <laughs> Then he says, we are going to, um, you know, be a country of generosity and warmth. If you look at his Twitter feed, do you feel that there's, you know, it's a place of generosity and warmth? How is a country led by him, judging by his Twitter feed, going to be a country of generosity and warmth? Uh, Warmth towards a few very select people, maybe? I I don't know. Um, And then what is this juxtaposition of safety, prosperity, and peace with law and order, right? He says, We're gonna, we'll are gonna, lead our country back to safety, prosperity, and peace, but we will also be a country of law and order, as if those are contradictory. These are not contradictory. In order to be a country of safety and prosperity and peace, of course we have to be a country of law and order. How much of a country of law and order will we actually be, under Trump, I, I get the ten, you know, the sense that Trump is going to be very happy to use the increased executive power that's bequeathed to him by Barack Obama, and I don't know how much it's going to be uh, a country of law and order, especially with you know the number of eyes. I, you know, I am your voice, and I am this, and I am that. I'm I alone can solve this. It's all around him. I think he's going to be a person using executive power. But anyway, it remains to be seen. Um, so then he's going to go into all of the crises that face the nation now. And people talk about, you know, this was a dark speech, and it's justified because this is a time of darkness. Um, but... You know this idea that you know he's going to just list all the horribles and then you say okay well vote for me because I alone can solve it that's not going to be enough so we're going to see what he actually concretely proposes in um... now this is uh... oh he says no you are misreading this Uh, Ed in the chat room says he says law and order is in distinction to generosity and warmth not safety security and prosperity um okay okay maybe he reads it that way um but i don't i don't think he means generosity and warmth in contradiction to the others um i think he means that those are in contradiction to both of those things before it right and also why why would generosity and warmth be in contradistinction to law and order either right now i'm going to have to tell you this story right and I, i didn't know if i wanted to take the time but here we go um I have been, as an objectivist, visiting at a number of universities, teaching there for a year or whatever. And one time I was teaching in Austin, and I got to go out to lunch with one of my colleagues, a non-objectivist there, in Austin. Uh, Martinich, I believe, was his last name, Al Martinich, and, and he's in the philosophy department. A really nice guy. And he says, you know, and there there had been, I think, a couple different objectivists who were visiting there, and he says, you know when you um when you read Ayn Rand, you don't necessarily, I, and I, I'm totally paraphrasing, I'm, I might be botching what he says, it's been many years, but he says, you know, you wouldn't necessarily expect objectivists to, to be that friendly. And he says, but they're the nicest people, right? And objectivists, we hold what I would say to be one of the most demanding philosophies out there in terms of you know, a very strict ethics with a set of principles and everything else, and also, of course, we uphold capitalism and the rule of law and everything else. And yet this guy says, "You know, Amy, you're just you're so nice. you know, how is it that you can be an objectivist and and you can be so nice and effect like This is a contradiction. And my answer to him was, "Hey, look, if we objectivists, and in particular, one of the things that objectivists reject." is the idea that we have a duty, a moral duty to sacrifice ourselves to our fellow man. We reject that fundamentally. And if you reject the idea that you actually have a duty to your fellow man, yeah, our government tries to push us into acting as if we have a duty. But if you fundamentally reject it at your core, that leaves you so much more open to feel benevolent toward your fellow man, right? Right. You don't think that they have any reason to expect the benevolence and you feel like you're giving it freely. Now, it's true. There are people around you that expect it and everything else. But if you, in your own mind, if you've internalized this idea that you have no moral duty to sacrifice yourself to others, that's great. And, and you know, I would see the same thing. Why can't generosity and warmth go along with a country of law and order? I mean, true generosity and true warmth. You might say, okay, well, political correctness, political correctness and, quote, tolerance in the way that the liberals mean it. That is not generosity and warmth. True generosity, true warmth is completely consistent with law and order. (laughs) Suzette in the chat room says objective does not mean mean. Yes, that's how everybody should be. And, And I think that's right. I think that's right. Uh, definitely. I'm going over to. Yeah, I'm still connected. I think I do maybe have Ed waiting online, but let me go through Trump's speech. I know that there is someone who's waiting to talk to me, but let's do this. Okay, so he's going to go through the facts, plain and honest, plainly and honestly. By the way, there has been fact checking on some of this stuff, and you might want to check some of the statistics and other facts that Trump gives in the speech. Um, you know, he says he's going to give you the facts plainly and honestly, and there will be no lies. And, and then he's just asking to be fact checked when he says that. But he goes through some horrible statistics of all of the crime and the terrorist attacks and the, you know, 180,000 illegal immigrants with criminal records and all of this stuff, right? And this is a list of horribles that you are supposed to rely on him to. Uh, He talks about a trade deficit, right, as if it's the worst thing in the world. People who know basic economics know that, in particular, if you say a trade deficit in goods, which is what he says, that's meaningless, right? He says our trade deficit is $800 billion. Um, Just the fact that we have a trade deficit alone doesn't mean anything out of context. In fact, it might be good for us to have a trade deficit in goods and then, you know, perhaps trade uh, in services, like we would have a trade surplus, so to speak, in services. Um, you know, th- this this focus on the trade deals and goods and the ideas, you know, about manufacturing and we're going to make stuff here. All of this is meaningless. It, you know, if you go back to your basic economics, what matters is what do we Americans have a comparative advantage in providing And even if it causes pain to people to retool in order to provide those things as opposed to the manufacturing and whatever whatever else, that is what we need to be doing. Um, He talks about the national debt, and the national debt is indeed a huge problem, and in fact, Gary Johnson makes that, I believe, issue number one if you go to his website and read issues on Gary Johnson – he says uh, Obama has more has almost doubled our national debt to more than 19 trillion and growing. But what is Trump going to do about the national debt? Right. Um, in the past, he has said that he knows how to handle debt. He's talked about maybe defaulting on debt. These are not great and responsible ways of dealing with debt. He knows debt better than anybody. He, of course, has you know taken a lot of debt and done some bankruptcy. Uh, you can tell a little bit from the speech that debt alone is not a problem to him because he says, well, what do we have to show for it? So in my mind, he'd think that debt is perfectly acceptable so long as we have something to show for it. He says, our roads and bridges are falling apart, our airports, our third world condition and 43 million Americans are on food stamps. So I guess if those things didn't exist, as long as we had something to show for it, the 19 trillion might have been okay. So then he says, okay, look at the state of affairs abroad. And he talks about Iran. And he says, it's one of the worst deals ever negotiated. Implication, you should deal with Iran. You can negotiate a better deal and everything would be okay if you did. Um, One thing he is right, Obama drawing a red line in Syria and everybody knowing it means absolutely nothing. We are, as Leonard Peikoff said many years ago, now a paper Tiger, that would have been a good line to put in the uh, the thing. Now, we talked about Hillary, right? And, you know, he says, okay, these are the problems, these are the problems, and he's going to criticize Hillary now. Um, her instincts, her bad instincts, her bad judgment, what has Trump said about her? Trump, didn't he say he's one of the best secretary of states ever, or some horrible line like that? Uh, who is he? to criticize Hillary Clinton's performance as Secretary of State. Perhaps the revealing thing in this speech is that, you know, he says her bad instincts and her bad judgment, something pointed out by Bernie Sanders. So he's going to deflect. Bernie Sanders has pointed out. Don't, you know, never mind what's behind the curtain, right? Never mind what he has said in the past about Hillary Clinton. Look at what Bernie Sanders has said about it. Um, so he talks about, you know, the legacy of Hillary Clinton: death, destruction, terrorism, and weakness. And what is he going to have? What do you need? He says a change in leadership. A change in leadership is required to produce a change in outcomes. And when he's talking about leadership, he's talking about a personnel change, right? People switch out the people, and then suddenly everything is going to be great. And that's not necessarily true, right? You can have a change in outcomes. Not necessarily with a change in personnel, but a change in strategy, a change in ideas and a change in the execution of those ideas. But, you know, it's a change in in leadership, right? He wants you to accept him as your leader. Everything will be okay as long as he's leading. So then he says, okay, he's going to talk about the plan of action. And he says, the plan is going to put America first. Americanism, not globalism, is our credo. And I would say, okay, fine, if Americanism was our credo. But he doesn't literally mean Americanism in its true sense. He doesn't mean Americanism as the country founded on the ideas behind the pursuit of happiness. When he means Americanism, he means just putting America first in a way that I would interpret as almost like kind of the Nietzschean way, right? In what way does he suggest that we should put America first? Um, that's the stuff you want to look at. So he says, okay, the American people are going to come first. Well, does that mean put over other people? And in what way? Uh, safety at home you know, safety at home. Uh, you're going to also, you know, have some reforms on the economy. He's going to talk about too. So safety in the economy, these are things he's going to fix. Uh, so, you know, what are those reforms? And again, I think I'm already on page it's like four and there's nothing concrete yet. Okay. I remember all the way up to page six, there was still nothing concrete. Uh, he's criticizing that Hillary's going to keep the current system rigged in place, but no, he's not like that. He says, There's all these people who are working hard. They no longer have a voice. I am your voice, he says. I've embraced crying mothers and et cetera, right? Um, Then he goes into criticizing Hillary Clinton, the 33,000 emails, you know, on the private server and what the FBI said that she was extremely careless and negligent. So this is just minor compared to what she actually did. Um, You know, no plan, right? He's still just denouncing Hillary. Um, you know her single greatest accomplishment this is a great line right Hillary Clinton's single greatest accomplishment may be committing such an egregious crime and getting away with it now is that a great accomplishment I mean maybe if you have no moral compass yeah you could speak that way but whatever it's a great line Um, still no concrete plan of what he's doing Uh, He says, now I've joined the political arena so the powerful can no longer beat up on people that cannot defend themselves. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. He is the guy. It's about personalities. It's about him. So then what does he say he's going to do? Okay, He's going to fix the system. He's starting to give you a little bit of an idea. He wants the system to, quote, work fairly and justly for each and every American. Fairly and justly for each and every American. This is, you know, essentially sounding a little bit Rawlsian, you know, the idea that you're going to make even the least well-off somewhat better off with every decision that you make. Otherwise, it's something that you shouldn't do. That is a very kind of Rawlsian way to think. So, you know, it's looking at each and every American. It's going to improve a lot of them. And this is something he says elsewhere in the the speech as well. First task, he says, liberate the citizens, our citizens from the crime and terrorism and lawlessness that threatens the community. So how is he going to do this? We want to find out how is he going to liberate our citizens from the crime and terrorism and lawlessness? Then he launches into what may as well be a newscast because he's talking about all the horrible things that have happened. Officers being killed in Georgia, Missouri, Wisconsin, Kansas, Michigan, Tennessee, more in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, sounding again like a newscast. What is he going to do concretely? First thing he tells you, he's going to work with and appoint the best prosecutors and law enforcement officials to get the job properly done. Okay, appoint in what way? Do they not have the power now to get the job done? What's going on? Um Blank out. If these are already the best prosecutors and law enforcement officials, aren't they out there doing the best job that they know how? How is it that you're going to either give them different powers or give them different directions? No, no answer. Right. He says in the race for the White House, I am the law and order candidate. Okay, great. You can pronounce that, but you haven't given me anything. And what does he do? Instead of giving you specifics about how it is that he's going to appoint these people who are already out there working in law enforcement and somehow his appointment of them is going to make them do the job differently or better. He doesn't tell you how that's going to happen. Instead, he launches into a denunciation of our current president. Now, it's a true denunciation. It's one that we all sympathize with. Right. He talks about the fact that Obama has made it a more uh, dangerous environment by dividing us by race and color, et cetera. It's true. Right. But. No tactics, no tactics. I'm on page six, no tactics. Um, he says he's he's going to ensure that all of our kids are treated equally and protected equally. How? Well, he's going to ask himself a certain question. He'll just put himself in a certain mindset. Does this make life better for young Americans in all of these different cities who have really, in every way, folks, the same right to live out the dreams as every other child. Again, this is very Rawlsian. Uh, you know, look at these places where kids are most at risk: Baltimore, Chicago, Detroit, Ferguson, etc., and see if you're going to make those least well-off kids better off. Very, very Rawlsian. And as I've criticized Cruz for talking about Rawls before, this is not what I would call a small government mindset at all because if you're going to do the Rawls thing you're going to redistribute you're going to engage in egalitarian redistribution until you cannot make the least well off any better off by further redistributions and you know again back there what do you say about the debt well here's all this debt but what do we have to show for it he didn't say he's not going to put us further in debt so keep that in mind uh, he says, we're going to defeat the barbarians of ISIS and we're going to defeat them fast. How? We want to know how. And next paragraph, he launches into all the horrible things that ISIS has done. And it is true. It is horrible. Um, and he says, as president, he's going to protect the LBG, LGBTQ. Sorry, I can't do these uh, acronyms fast enough. Uh, he's going to protect them from violence and oppression you know, I'm going to, uh, you know, protect them. Believe me. He says, well, how? And then he goes into a diversion about as a Republican, I'm nice. You know, I'm glad that you are cheering for me to protect the LGBTQ. We don't care. We want to know tactics, right? So what is it that you're going to do? He says, well, we're not going to do the nation building and regime change. Okay. That's good. Not going to do that. That's, fine. I think that's okay. Um, But what are you going to do? He says, we're going to work with all of our allies who share the goal of destroying ISIS and stamping out Islamic terrorism. Okay, we're going to work with them. Um, As long as you are very specific about who you're going to work with and how, right? Are we going to arm them? Which ones, you know, he talks about Israel. He says, it includes working with Israel. Unless you give me the list of other countries, I would say probably only Israel. Um, every time we've worked with other people in the region, we've ended up arming our enemies. So this work with our allies stuff, he's very vague about it. And if you are vague about it, you're at risk of, you know, doing something that's going to arm our allies. Uh, he talks about, you know, NATO, they're going to combat terrorism. Okay. It's a step in the right direction. Um, How is this any different from anything that anybody else is going to do? No specific tactics. It's just who you're going to get together with. I mean, you know, Obama has worked with our allies. He hasn't worked with Israel very well, so at least there's a little bit of improvement there, right? And then he says we're going to immediately suspend immigration from any nation that has been compromised by terrorism. Well, I would say Germany and France have been compromised by terrorism. Are we not going to have immigration? from those places, Um, you know, until such time as proven vetting mechanisms have been put in place, et cetera, you're not going to let any of these people in. I, I mean, we need to, I do think we need to have restrictions on immigration. I'm not a completely open immigration person, but, you know, in what way are you going to define this? Etc. I'd like, I'd like to know that a little bit more, so at least there's something like that. Um, the opponent, yes, Hillary has called for the increase in Syrian refugees. Of course, I mean, you know, here, here's my position again. Um, we might be open to having some refugees come here, but we would certainly not use any taxpayer dollars to aid the travel of refugees to our country. Um, if some private people want to bring in refugees and we can adequately screen them to make sure that they are not, uh, you know, a threat to our country, then okay, let them in, you know, make sure that they are really refugees and not ISIS plants or moles. But this idea that our government is aiding these refugees and actively bringing them in is, of course, intolerable, and we need to just stop that. Why not just stop any aid that our government is giving to bring these refugees here. Why not make them come on their own dime or on the dime of people who are willing to put up private donations specifically for that? Um, I have someone in the chat room who's doing a whole lot of bold face stuff. And I don't think I've seen you in my chat room before. It's Africa, the great in the chat room here, it'd be better in less distracting to me and the listeners. If you didn't put the bold face stuff. And you're talking about Uber, and I'm not even sure that this is relevant to what I'm talking about on the show. So anyway, if people do want to call on the topic of the show, I'm going to take calls in just just a little bit here when I get through this. Anyway, so he's going to do that. Um, And then, you know, he talks about admitting refugees or admitting people to our country, only those who support our values and love our people. So, You want to put an ideological litmus test on this? You want to put an emotional litmus test on this? Love our people? There are problems with that, and I've talked about problems with putting up an ideological litmus test on a post on my blog at DontLetItGo.com, and I believe it's called something like a response to Ed Maslisch on immigration. I, I have rejected that. I think the only type of litmus test that you can put up is one that shows the people taking actions in support of, you know, movements that are actually, you know, trying to out to kill us, you know, that actually uh, represent a risk to our safety. He talks about anyone who endorses violence, hatred, or oppression what does endorse mean exactly? Are you, are you actually providing support, for example, for ISIS? We have people among us in the United States now who are, are constantly accused of aiding and abetting ISIS. We need to get those people out as soon as possible. We need to screen them, make sure that those people don't come in. Uh, you know, this idea that you can, you know, just go out there and promote your allegiance to ISIS and and then remain in this country, of course, is wrong. But you need to confine it to those who have taken concrete steps in the direction of posing a threat to you know people in, the, in this country even if they say well i don't really like united states but i got to come there and work i mean do they have to love us do they have to love our people not necessarily i think i would leave that to the free market to decide whether you want to hire somebody who doesn't love our country and doesn't really want to be here Uh, He talks about, you know, decades of record immigration have produced lower wages and higher unemployment. I highly doubt that it's immigration that has produced lower wages and higher unemployment. I think it is the fiscal policies and the regulations that have done that. It is statism that does that. It's not immigration that does that. Um, Yeah, no more boldness. Say the, say the people in the chat rooms for Africa the Great. Um, now, then then he goes into the problem of illegal immigration and how, of course, there have been people in our country killed by illegal immigrants, in some cases illegal immigrants who have been convicted of crimes and then nonetheless released back out into the general population. This, of course, is a horrible problem that needs to be solved, but it can be solved by enforcing existing laws you don't have to put drastic restrictions on immigration you don't have to put new laws into place you just have to enforce the laws that we have and yeah get rid of the sanctuary cities that is is not at all a a bad policy so that's an easy one but this is not really anything new um uh, in one of the paragraphs on page seven or eight, I, I'm losing count here and it's not numbered. He says, this candidate and the whole nation stand in the corner to support these families who have, have been a victim of the violence at the hand of illegal immigrants. This candidate, so he's talking about himself in the third person. That's always fun. Uh, he's going to build a great border wall. You've heard this before. That is his main specific tactic that he has a great border wall. Uh, <laughs> And how does he go and justify it? Well, he's got the endorsement of America's Border Patrol agents, so you should believe him that the border wall is going to be an awesome thing that's really going to increase your safety. And he promises on January twentieth, two 2017, this is the day when the laws of the United States are enforced. He's talking about this in the context of immigration. But imagine if all of the laws in the United States were strictly enforced, Right now there are a number of banks, as I understand it, that if all the laws, all the laws and the regulations and everything else on the books were strictly enforced, people would be fined or in jail or anything else. There's been a lot of, because of the laws, you know, they're being, they contradict each other. One law says A and the other says non-A in terms of what a bank should do about a particular loan or something. You know, the banks do the best that they can to comply with the one that makes more sense. And a lot of regulators look the other way. If you actually strictly enforce all the laws, I wonder what would actually happen. I think he's talking only about immigration. And yes, enforcing more of those laws would be a good thing. We can't count on Obama, even though he's been slapped down by the courts to enforce immigration laws. Um, he talks about, you know, that communities want relief from the immigration policy of Barack Obama and uh by extension, it's going to be Hillary Clinton. Well, you know, if they want relief then you've got to give them relief, I guess it's a demand. He's going to have a new fair trade policy. And this is where, you know, it's, it starts to get a little bit scarier. He says, he's going to make our country rich again, using the greatest business people in the world. What does using mean exactly? Is he going to conscript the business people He says he's going to turn the bad trade agreements into good ones. What does that mean? Well, he can give you an idea of what it means. He's not happy that America has lost one-third of its manufacturing jobs. And again, I go back to that principle, the law of comparative advantage in economics. The law of comparative advantage says that you should specialize in that thing at which you have a comparative advantage, and you should trade your neighbor for something with respect to which he has a comparative advantage. Right. And then, you know, come up, come, come to an agreement, because if I, for example, can bake blueberry muffins, like there's no tomorrow, the best tasting blueberry muffins, and I can do it super efficiently. Then my friend Ed, who's here in the chat room, suppose, you know, suppose he makes great chocolate bars, for example, and I really do. I love chocolate. So I'm going to trade the blueberry muffins for the chocolate bars via the intermediary of money, typically, right? We're not going to usually do a one-by-one trade-off. And that's how we're going to live, right? You should do that thing at which you have a comparative advantage. And it might be that we have a comparative advantage in creating the next Facebook, the next Google, the next Twitter, the next Uber, the next Airbnb services and information Providing and networking technologies, right? Maybe that's where we have it. Why is it the case that we should be upset about losing one third of the manufacturing jobs and that somehow bringing all of those back, however, he's going to achieve it, is necessarily going to be a good thing? I don't think it necessarily is even a problem, but suppose it's a problem, right? Suppose there's somehow, you know, some, at least a a significant chunk of people would be better off if you were able to bring some of these jobs back. And suppose it was because other countries had unfair trade policies, if you might call it that, with the tariffs and all this stuff. He says, well, what is he going to do? He says he is not going to let companies move to other countries. He's not going to let them move to other countries, firing their employees along the way without consequence. What does that mean? Now, as I said on Twitter, and you can see the tweet at don'tletitgo.com, what does he mean? He means he is going to force companies to do business the way that he wants them to do business, namely keep their manufacturing plants here, regardless of whether that is the most profitable way to run their companies or regardless of whether for other reasons they might want to relocate their manufacturing plants overseas. It might not be an issue of profit. It might be that the CEO really wants to live in New Zealand or something, right? And he's going to go over there. I don't think New Zealand's very efficient, by the way. But, uh, you know, there's places in China that I understand are beautiful. So people are going to, you know, say, okay, uh, it's pretty efficient to locate a manufacturing plant in China right now. And there's some beautiful places over there that I would like to live And so, you know, on the balance, I would like to relocate it there. For whatever reason the person has, a person, you know, part of America is the right to the pursuit of happiness. If it is going to make the CEO of a company or the board of the directors of company or the shareholders of a company happier to have a company manufacture its goods at a certain place or steer it, you know, business practice otherwise in a certain direction. They should be free to do it. You have the right to the pursuit of your own happiness in the United States. But no, not according to Trump. He is not going to let them do what they want. Presumably they want to do it. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing it. You know, that's another story. But, you know, here they are. They, have, they say they want to move overseas. They think it's the best for them and their shareholders. And he's going to say no. No. You cannot. Now, you know, nobody can fire employees without consequence, assuming, for example, the employees have contracts and things like that. There is such thing as a breach of contract lawsuit. That already exists on the books. So what he's implying is something different, that he, President Trump, is going to do something above and beyond the existing laws on the books to not let these countries relocate no matter what they want. Uh, Then he talks about all the trade deals, And these trade deals, yes, they are huge behemoth documents, right? And we should not have these huge, long, insanely complex trade agreements. But as I understand these documents, the trade agreements, by and large, the goal is to reduce trade barriers. And again, you go back to basic economics, to the extent that you are reducing trade barriers, you are better off. What is the answer? You know, if, if, if there is truly this trade deficit, why don't we reduce the amount of regulation here so that, you know, having a manufacturing plat, plant here in the United States becomes profitable again, I mean, instead of make America great again, how about make America profitable again and make that profitable for all the businesses Um, get rid of all of these regulations that put a stranglehold on business and make them want to relocate overseas, but that's not what he's about. Uh, One thing he does talk about, he wants to stop China's outrageous theft of intellectual property. Well, that's good, right? I don't know about this currency manipulation stuff. I'm skeptical that there's anything that he should be doing about whether they manipulate their currency. It's another free trade issue. You know, if they want to put restrictions on their economy, We are still nonetheless better off by keeping ours free. But it is true that we need to stop the theft of intellectual property if we can. How does he intend to do that? How is he going to stop China from stealing intellectual property? Blank out. There is no tactic that you see in here. Um, He talks about the, the horrible trade agreements. He says we're not going to have that. We are going to start building and making things again. Building and making things again. As if building and making things is what we always have a comparative advantage at. I do not think that that's true. Uh, Then he says we're going to reform the tax laws and that he is proposing the largest tax reduction of any candidate. I don't know if that's really true. Maybe he just means for the middle class. And he also says it's going to be simplified for everyone. Whatever it is, it's not as simple as what Ted Cruz or Gary Johnson have proposed. So uh, any, I don't have any details here. Uh, we're going to deal with the issue of regulation, one of the greatest job killers of them all. How is he going to do it? Well, one thing he does say, at least, he's going to lift the restrictions on the production of American energy. Yes, that is true. That is something that has been suffering under a stranglehold, particularly under Obama. So that would be nice. But I would say other candidates, certainly Ted Cruz and probably also Gary Johnson, would – lift the restrictions as much or more uh, he, we're going to put our steel workers and our miners back to work again again you know should the steel workers should the coal miners be back to work if for example we allowed the keystone pipeline or we allowed more fracking and stuff are we going to rely on coal as much i just read an article uh, last couple weeks or so that the whole idea of clean coal clean coal that the government's been trying to force on everybody these clean coal plant plants it's a total myth it's another boondoggle just like solyndra that there's been tons and tons of money uh you know that the obama administration has directed towards these clean coal plants in the south and that's all been a total farce a total route as usual um so the one thing okay lift restrictions on energy yeah you can get a lot of uh you know, a lot of money into the economy that way. And then what is he going to do? He says, well, we're going to build roads, highways, bridges, tunnels, airports, and the railways of tomorrow. So you can imagine under a President Trump that there are going to be a lot of government and infrastructure type projects probably achieved by taxes on the energy economy that he's so-called unleashing. That's what I'm guessing. Either that or going to more debt, right? As long as you've got something to show for it. At the end of your 19-plus trillion, it's okay. Uh, School choice, he says you could send kids to a safe school of your choice. That sounds okay. That sounds kind of vague, though, and it's certainly not as good as Johnson, who has pledged to get the federal government entirely out of education. He's going to replace the disastrous Obamacare, but you've heard him in the past. He's talked about keeping a mandate. We're going to fix the TSA at the airports because it's a total disaster. How? He's not going to tell you. Then he says, we're going to work with our students who are drowning in debt. Take the pressure off of them. Now, how is he going to take pressure off of them? He's going to nullify the contracts that they have to pay back this debt. Uh, Is that how you're going to take pressure off them? Uh, You're not talking about freeing up the economy and creating jobs as a way to do that. You are implying that you're going to somehow forgive some of their debt or change the terms of the contracts under which they're supposed to repay it. That sounds very much like a Democrat, doesn't it? We're going to ask the countries that we're protecting at a massive cost to us to pay their fair share. That's fine. That's good, as far as it goes. Um, Then we're going to take care of our veterans like they've never been taken care of before. He's got a 10-point plan. He's not telling you any of the points of the plan. But it has tremendous veteran support. Appeal to the authority of the veterans. VA scandal, all this stuff, and then he says uh, he's going to get rid of wasteful spending. In the first 100 days, he's going to get the list of wasteful spending. This sounds very much like Newt Gingrich, you know, this kind of tinkering with waste at the margins and not cutting huge government programs, which is what anybody should be doing today if they call themselves a Republican or a Libertarian. You know, Cruz was going to get rid of what, five different government agencies, federal government agencies the idea of just, oh, wasteful spending, little projects here and there. No, no, no. We need entire departments to go. He's going to appoint justices. He's going to replace Scalia with a constitutional conservative. Do you believe him? He says it's the most important issue decided by the election. Good. If so, he's going to do it. Uh, His opponent wants to abolish the Second Amendment, and he says, I've gotten the early and strong endorsement of the NRA. Isn't it true that the NRA is a little lukewarm on him now because he's been asking the NRA for making concessions about background checks and stuff like this. So how strong is that endorsement of the NRA that he's touting out there? He thanks the evangelical and religious community for the support. You know, this is another diversion. He says, I'm not sure I totally deserve it. And that's true. If I was an evangelical, I don't know why I would support him because He's not anti-abortion or anything else. And then listen to this, right? He's talking about religious institutions, that they should have tax-exempt status, even if the speech that they're putting out there is political speech. And what I'm going to ask you is, in today's context, is it a good idea to give religious institutions tax-exempt status for political speech? I don't want religious institutions, for example, to have a comparative advantage over other think tanks, for example. Right. And doesn't, you know, again, every time you give tax exemptions or rebates or deductions and all of this stuff, this is something that manipulates the behavior of people. And if you're doing political speech, especially in a context where a President Trump is not going to dismantle significant functions of government, right, what you'd be doing is if you grant a tax-exempt status to organizations engaging in political speech, you are incentivizing rent-seeking behavior. That is what he's proposing here, incentivizing rent-seeking behavior by giving tax-exempt status to religious institutions, I don't want to see that. I want them to not have tax-exempt status, I guess, for any of this stuff. But we need to eliminate so much of the taxes that whether it gets tax-exempt status doesn't matter nearly as much. But in today's context, I would think this is disastrous because you're going to have the government have just as much power and the political speech is going to be rent-seeking. He says all we have to do, we're going to accomplish all these things. All we have to do – and this is where the primacy of consciousness really kicks in – We just need to believe in ourselves and believe in our country again. Start believing it's time to show the whole world that America has become bigger, better, and stronger. And then he repeats it just for emphasis. Uh, And then he thanks his family and he talks about, you know, his dad. And I love this one thing he says, he says about his dad, his dad was always the most comfortable in the company of bricklayers and carpenters and electricians. And he says, I have a lot of that in me. Also, I love those people. How revealing, right? It's not that he's the most comfortable, but it's like, yeah, I love those people. I I can tolerate them sometimes, right? I can hang out with them. I just love them. Uh, His sole exclusive mission is to go to work for us. He's going to deliver a victory for the American people. We're going to start winning again. We have to break free from petty politics of the past, et cetera. Now, listen to this next line. This is actually, it sounds like a good line. But then I'll tell you something about it, which is interesting. He says, he says, America is a nation of believers, dreamers, and strivers that is being led by a group of censors, critics, and cynics. Believers, dreamers, and strivers being led by a group of censors, critics. You know, it's, a, it's the yes people and the no people. And he's saying, well, you know, we're the yes people and they're the no people. But again, this is all in the level of consciousness. You should believe him. All these people love him. You know, his family's so great. And yeah, here, believers, dreamers, and strivers, you should not be basically shut out of your dreams and your beliefs by censors, critics, and cynics. But it's not about the action. I mean, striving implies some action. But believers and dreamers, not necessarily so much. (sighs) He says that a lot of these people now, you know, the cynics and everything, they want to keep the rigged system in place. And it's true. We need to unseat this rigged system. It is horrible. But he says, instead, what do we choose? We have to believe in America. Just believe in America. We don't have much time. Goes into this whole thing about the urgency. Uh, and that's another thing that the, you know, the Burchards and the Pagans and all of the those sales guys in the world, the marketing guys, you know, we don't have much time. Act now. Support me. Trump. I will be your champion. He says, I will be your champion in the White House. I will be your champion. All about me. I am your voice, right? Uh, He says, we're going to make America strong, proud, safe, and great. Woohoo! that's the speech. There's not much, like I said there, in the way of tactics. Some of the tactics are outright scary, and I think would actually make things worse. Um, I'm actually sorry I've taken so much time analyzing it, but I thought it needed to be looked at. You know, again I didn't watch the speech people were telling me that the the delivery wasn't very good but that the content was good so I really wanted to just focus on the content and as I said not a lot of concrete tactics a lot of you know believe me I am your voice all we have to do is believe in America we just have to be on the ideas of believing and dreaming and striving we'll be kind of vague about the action that we'll do and we'll make America great again Sally says the speech offers hope and change. Ed does agree with me. Yeah, he says the production has moved overseas, not because they are low wages, but because we are high tax and high regulation. Yeah, that is what I would like to see more of. He did say one thing about regulation, but he wasn't concrete about how he was going to actually get rid of the regulation. Well, given that I just talked forever, I think I'm going to go ahead and take a break by taking a call. And I think this is Ed. Judging by area code, is this Ed?
1: This is Ed. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing good. I'm a little bit tired from my analysis of, of this speech, but you said you thought it oh was a good speech. Oh, my God, a, a you spent
1: speech? an hour on the speech. It was fine. I think it's worthwhile. Maybe, I
0: think the Republicans should see who they nominated, right? Well, no, I mean, I don't have as negative a
1: view of the speech as you do. Certainly, you're right. There's no specifics, and, and uh, you know, there's a lot and of And there Trumpism. are some very
0: bad things. There um, there's some very bad things in that speech.
1: Yeah. Mm, I don't think there's any really bad things in the speech. I, I, I mean, you and I may disagree here and there on, uh, on, initiation
0: of force Initiation of force. Yeah. No. No. I mean, but like. Yeah. Well, but, well, but, well, initiation
1: no, of force here and there. Like
0: yeah. the, all right, no. No. Uh.
1: For for example, for example, <laughs> I, I, this is what we were talking about on Twitter yesterday. The U.S. has the highest uh, corporate income tax in the world, thirty-five percent, and. Of all the taxes the United States puts on, the, in, the corporate income tax in particular is the worst, the absolute most destructive tax. No other tax that we do is as destructive as the income tax. So if Donald Trump were to say something like this, now he doesn't because he doesn't. He doesn't. That's the problem. Again, he
0: doesn't. Yeah, go ahead. Again,
1: he's, he's not a good candidate. I'm not saying I like the guy.
0: I don't like okay.
1: the guy. I'm saying if he were to say something like this. Uh, mm-hmm you know, we're going to cut the uh, uh, corporate income tax to 20% for companies who don't, you know, outsource. Now, however you would measure that, I don't know. Of course, it's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. But, you know, that would be an improvement. I I, Again, I think it should be cut for zero. I think you think it should be cut to zero. I think most of the listeners think it should be cut to zero. But if we're judging by the status quo, and he said, you know, well, if you outsource, Labor, you're still going to be stuck at 35%, but if you don't, then we're going to cut it to 20%. That would be a huge improvement uh, for the American uh, economy. It would be a huge improvement. Okay, for this, but again, and again, what you're, what you're me, doing, you're using, me, you're, using,
0: you're using a tax code to manipulate behavior, which I think is bad.
1: Well, again, if, if it were me, if it were me, I would set it to zero. And yeah. I think if it were you, you would set it to zero. Yeah, but we are not judging. We are not. And judging if it was Ted Cruz, candidate. he
0: would set it at something even and not do this. You know, I mean, again, yeah, actually, you know, you know a, basic, yeah. you know basic economics, Ed. Why is he flouting the rules of basic economics? Why is he saying that we need to build stuff and make stuff here? We don't necessarily need to build stuff and make stuff here, right? We do need to uh, re- remove. We no, do need to would... remove any barriers that the government is erecting to us building and making stuff here. But the idea that we'll keep all of the barriers, but we'll just tweak it at the margins, in order to make people build stuff and, and make stuff here, and instead of you know kind of making everything free and see where the chips fall, right?
1: Uh, well, I don't agree that we can't. That uh, we shouldn't, you know, we don't have to make anything here. We can make everything in China, and we just do. You know, we just I don't think we can
0: make everything there. Obviously, uh, but, but I'm saying. Thinking- I,
1: I mean, I, I I think that in a in a perfect world where you know we are, all the countries were free and 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 productive and 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 uh, you know capitalist, I, I, I think that would be true. We don't live in such a world, and so there are some constraints um, on that that the reality of uh, imposes on us. For instance, I mean. To, to take one obvious example, I, I know we don't want to talk about this. I'd rather talk about from now. But uh, you know, the United States is a big country and it has a lot of uh, responsibilities with regard to defense. If we didn't have a steel industry in the United States, if all of our steel was, uh, you know, in China or India or something like that,
0: right, um, right,
1: and, and, that and would we, put us at the mercy, lost, right? So any, any,
0: anything defense-related, you'd say we should make yeah, sure that we've got a good supply defense, here, like
1: all, all, but all electronics are defense related. So, I mean, it's it, you, everything's defense related. So I'm not, I'm not against free trade. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm just saying that you have to look at our current context. And if we lose the ability to produce something and we get into world war three or equivalent um, and having lost the produce the, the ability to produce X, we now are at a huge disadvantage in any uh, war that, that is something that we have to take into account. It is not the case that in our current world, we want to optimize everything so that we are uh, perfectly, um, you know, economically optimal at this very moment. If no,
0: no, no, oh, of course world, not. Of course not. Which is dangerous, when you, that we could
1: be taken over tomorrow.
0: Right, you know, right. So, but I mean, when, you, when, you, when you talk about, you know, and again, you know, not... I mean none of the candidates you know in Cruz's own speech he talks about the wall right and he also talks yeah, about some I, of the some of the I'm trade totally issues the in wall. a vague way and and I I'm, front I'm front thinking front. that Cruz had to have those concessions in his speech sort of to at least sort of support some of the things that Trump put in his speech too but Cruz is Cruz is guilty of some of this you know kind of protectionist and anti-immigration stuff himself he is um so, no, these people aren't perfect, but the question is one of explicitly saying, Look, I'm not going to let them do this. And, do, you know, Cr- Cruz is not somebody who would talk that way, for example, even though he would, Cruz would probably still keep some restrictions on the mobility overseas, or, you know, who knows, he would do some of it. But when you have a Republican candidate, the candidate of limited, I mean, the, the party supposedly of limited and small government, and you have him talking about forcing businesses to conduct their business a certain way, right? This is very disturbing to me. In addition to other things, I don't want them using the tax code to subsidize rent-seeking behavior under the guise of religious freedom, which is what he does in that speech as well.
1: Oh, no, I, I think that's uh, – well, I mean, I, I'm certainly in favor of uh, – again, the, tax, the corporate tax code is the worst thing that we do, and it should be made zero to everyone, in which case there would be no such thing as nonprofits, uh, and, and this whole thing would go away. But in the context of our current tax code, um, the limitations on um, speech – uh, for nonprofit uh, companies is it, uh, undefensible. I mean, I, I I don't think there's any way to defend it, uh, and I think uh, I think he's absolutely right at this point um, that uh, that this rule that I mean, well especially because it's partisanly enforced. Right, every black church in the country right uh, talks, yeah, to, it, talks politics when, and and, and yeah, does and, it's only the conservative churches that are it's enforced against. So, yeah. Whenever, a, whenever
0: there's any, um, whenever there's any wiggle room of defending, you know, or, or, or construing a rule about what is and yeah. isn't political speech, then they're going to use the, you know, the interpretation of that rule in a way that favors whoever's the one in power, and that's scary. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean, there's absolutely no question that, that he's absolutely right on this, on, on that yeah. one. I'm, i again, I'm not, I'm not the, I'm not a fan of Trump. I've never been a fan of him. I'm not a fan of him now. But if you're, if let's, we should talk in a week and say who had the better, uh, who had the better speech, uh, him or Hillary, um, because I think that.
0: Uh, oh, I know. I, I know I Hillary's speech is going to be dreadful. My question for you is, did did Trump deliver the speech of what you would call a Republican, um, or did he deliver the speech of probably which would have been like kind of a almost a Bill Clinton Democrat, right?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that's exactly right. It's a Bill Clinton Democrat. I don't think there are any, I don't think there are any Republicans running in the race this year. And so that's what, you know, my, my default position will be to sit this out. Um, but uh, I mean, certainly there, since 1824 was the last election where the top three candidates were all Democrats. And I think that's what we have here today uh, with, uh, uh, with Hillary, uh, Trump and Johnson. They're all, they're all Democrats. Um, they're just different brands.
0: So different no, I mean, brands of Democrats. I, I, I yeah, okay,
1: different brands, different brands of, of Democrats. But you know that's that doesn't mean that I won't. Uh, you know, right now I'm neutral yeah. in this race. I mean, I don't know what will happen in November, but I'm certainly, uh, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in favor of Trump or or Clinton. I, I, I but I don't think Trump's speech was that bad. I think you,
0: yeah, the 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 hashtag that I'm trying to put out there. You know, you can put your little hashtag things out there. You can say never Trump and you can say never Hillary. And then there's another one on Twitter now that's never Trump or Hillary, right? I guess you should put neither Trump nor Hillary ever or something like that. That would be the grammatically correct version. But the other one that I've been trying to get out there is the maybe Johnson because there are still months to decide. (laughs) And I'm deciding whether it's worth the effort to mark in Johnson or maybe I would write in somebody. I don't know. I'm still at least open to Johnson as weak as he is, as as. Flawed no,
1: on I, I, no, I, I, I would never vote for Johnson under any circumstances. I would write okay. in Ted Cruz before I would vote for Johnson. I and mean, that's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, if you're going to do a protest vote, at least protest some, for someone who, uh, who, who deserves it, <laughs> you know, but, you know, whatever. I, I don't, I don't, I'd like to see Johnson in the uh in the debates, so if anybody ever called me on a poll and said who do you yes. favor, I'd say lied to him and say Johnson because I'd like to see him in the debates.
0: Yeah, I, um, I want to see Johnson in the debates but, uh, at least. And and here's the thing: I actually think Ed that if we saw him in the debates, I you know again, I am skeptical, but I think there is a chance that if Johnson is in the debates, he could distinguish himself in a good way that would make us a little more excited about him. That's all I'm saying, but we'll see. And he, you know, he's a decent guy with a good track record and, and there I am, but you know, I want to switch cause I, God, I'm hopelessly behind on this show because I spent so much time on Trump. I'm sorry, everybody. I spent so much time on Trump's speech, but again, I think it's worth it for you to look and see what you're nominating. And I would say that you're not nominating the right guy. Um, and, and, you know, with Cruz's speech, what did just quickly, Ed? What did you make of Cruz's speech? I mean, you said Bravo as well, like like I did. I, you
1: know, I liked his speech. I thought it was. Um, I thought, it, I thought the theme of it, which is freedom, you know, something you eat up, I eat up. I think your listeners eat up. I I, I like that. I think it it was out of step with um, the current. Um, Sort of political climate, I, you know prosperity would have been a better theme and and he could have given the same speech on the theme of of prosperity same sort of you know see taxes, i i't don't, I, don't like, I don't like prosperity
0: as a theme because prosperity is a is a consequence of freedom, and freedom is something that I think Americans also do need to appreciate right i don 't know that prosperity is something that also is is you know, discussing what needs to be discussed if we're going to uh, save the country long term, right? What is in the long term of our country? Yeah, long term. It's it's for people to understand the American sense of life, which is going to be to understand what the true prerequisites of real freedom are. And I think Cruz is the only one out there, you know, right now, who has a semi-solid foundation in this and is able to at least push that conversation in that direction. I would hate if he just talked about economic prosperity. I, I, I don't, there, well, there I needs to be an inspiration. I would have friends differently.
1: Well. You know, the, the current mood is people don't want freedom. They want jobs, right? So the, the point would be to show that, you know, you want jobs. Here is what is preventing you from having jobs. The minimum wage is preventing you from having right. jobs. Government regulation is preventing you from having jobs. The income tax code, especially the corporate income tax code, is preventing you from having jobs. The you know all of these things are preventing you from having jobs. And the answer uh, to way to get jobs is freedom. Freedom is the source. People care about the result, and that's the way I would have pitched the speech. But uh, I'm not Ted Cruz, and you know he. Well, Uh, and and I have no
0: problem with people, you know, connecting those things to freedom, you know, connecting freedom to prosperity and things like that. But it's got to be at the at the root. It's got to be freedom. Right. Um, and, And that's where I differ there. But, you know, the one thing that people were talking about with respect to his speech was. What was he doing? I, I think it's clear that he was not endorsing Trump and there's a couple of reasons. He was talking about, you know, not voting for necessarily any particular candidate. You vote up and down the ticket according to your conscience. Um, he, of course, was emphasizing freedom. He was explicitly denouncing a position that he was in, the, in his own speech attributing to Democrats, but as a position that Trump holds as well, which is that it is possible to deal With Iran. You know, Trump has said many times that the only problem with the Iran deal is that we didn't get a good enough deal. So, yeah, go ahead and deal with Iran, but get a better deal. And Cruz denounced the idea that you could even deal with Iran as explicitly democratic. So, um, whereas, you know, there was some overlap in positions that Cruz vaguely alluded to, Um, you know, he explicitly said things that. Made it clear he was not at all Endorsing Trump and I don't think he Meant his speech to serve as support For Trump per se I think he Was trying to move the Conversation as they might say so So you would agree with me on that that he wasn't endorsing Trump at all
1: No no and he explained it uh, You know the next day in that other video that I think You you posted Yeah Uh, and I put that at the blog
0: at don'tletitgo.com You know why is it that he didn't endorse Trump when he supposedly promised that He would you know they all had that pledge that they took. Um, well, one it, of the it,
1: things it, I think, one of the things that I think uh, impedes discussion in this election cycle um, between uh, people like ourselves is the presence of Cruz in the mix, uh, because he's so much better, you know, connects better than any politician uh, in the last, you know, 20-30 years. I mean, it, it, it's just. We 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 look at each of the politicians. We look at Rubio. We look at you know Kasich. We look at God help us Trump, and we all compare him to, to Cruz, and we and we find them grossly lacking. Um, yes. Rather than and, and that's true, um, rather than comparing them to each other, you know, and uh, and I, I think I think yes, Trump is terrible and and you know way worse than Cruz, um, at, but we have to we have to really compare him to Hillary because that's the real. Election now, like I said, I'm not on anybody's side. Yeah, but I
0: mean, you know, when when Cruz when Cruz gets as far as he does, too, it makes it a realistic standard by which to judge. I think people in the chat room are confused, particularly Suzette, who I believe might be a new listener. Um, Johnson would be in some ways and wouldn't be a good president. I'm not necessarily endorsing Johnson. I'm just saying, in the context now, where I'm going to go to the polls and I have a choice of Johnson, Trump, or Hillary, I might mark off for Johnson, but I would much prefer Cruz. Cruz was the person who I was in the tank for for a long time. Not that I thought Cruz was perfect, and I certainly don't agree with Cruz on every single thing, but Cruz, as Ed and I have been discussing here, is just head and shoulders above the others. But, um, so, Ed, I want to move to a couple. Was a good,
1: Johnson was a good governor of New Mexico, but in foreign policy, he just falls off the Ron Paul yeah, you know, well, and just, that's just, that's
0: he's the problem. Just awful. Yeah. That's he's the just, biggest
1: he's problem. Just awful. I mean, Hillary would be better than him on foreign policy and Hillary is a disaster. So, uh I you know, I don't know.
0: Exactly. So, a couple other things cuz you said you wanted to say something about the 28 pages, the missing 28 pages of the 9/11 report.
1: Yeah, yeah, I have like 8 minutes, but uh you know, I read the 28 pages. I have like 26 pages of highlights. Um but I will give you the essence, uh, which is that the Saudi government uh, funded, helped train, helped guide, helped bring into the country uh, a number of the 9-11 terrorists. And to say, right. well, you know, we only have proof that they did it for five of these terrorists, not all 19 of them or 20 with the Saudi. But, um, you know, that doesn't prove they're behind at all. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's a fairly anti-conceptual viewpoint I, I understand yeah. uh, the, the the report was riddled with well you know just because they helped this guy here and that guy there and this guy here and this because this said Saudi intelligence officer gave this terrorist money and just because that Saudi intelligence officer got this guy trained on how to pilot and just because the this uh, the terrorist had Prince Bandar the uh, Saudi ambassador of the United States and currently the head of Saudi intelligence his phone number in his phone and, how, and that, it's a, that doesn't really mean that the Saudi government was involved. Well, that's all bullshit, of course. I mean, of course it was the Saudi government. I mean, if we was thinking principles, you can think in principle. It, yes. would, it would be like, it, it would be like, you know, the Nice uh, truck, truck attack the other day, you know, if they found out that the the CIA had paid the truck driver and some other CIA agent had, had funded the truck driver and some third CIA agent had bought him the truck. And then for them to come and say, well, you know, I don't really think that institutionally the CIA was responsible for this or, or that America was. It, <laughs> right. It, 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 but, no. you know, there's, we have some so, concern.
0: Okay. So so, so, so it's, clear that there, it's clear that they were responsible. And, of course, I'm not a person who would say, oh, well, just five and, you know, just these connections. Um, this is yeah. alarming and horrible. And so you said you think that there's so a reason why. It, People won't make a big fuss about yeah, it.
1: right. Of course. Uh, uh, again, you read this and you're like, "Holy crap!" You know, Michael Moore. You're in Michael Moore land. You know, I and mean, yes. that's how crazy this is. Yes. Um, and uh, and then you realize that everything the Bush administration said post, you know, when this report was made, 2002, was an absolute lie. They they they, they lied about Saudi Arabia. They lied about. Everything, every, the entire foreign policy of the Bush administration is a lie. Um, they went and attacked Iraq for, you know, still un, uh, really unknown purposes um, while giving aid and comfort to the people, the Saudis, who were, you know, substantially behind 9-11. It just, it, it just, it, 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 it amazes me. I mean, you know, that the Saudi royal family is huge. There's like 500 people. So I always, of course, there's going to be one or two, you know, random Saudi royal family who helped Al-Qaeda. We all, we all knew that. I mean, that, but right. no, Prince Bandar, for God's sake, he's the head of Saudi intelligence right now. I mean, it's,
0: it's, it just, and you know, and like, it, this was so, known in 2002. So, you know, what would, and to, what would, what would, okay, first of all, Obama's going to do nothing about this, right?
1: Well, I think the left don't care about the 28 pages because they don't intend to do anything anyway. I mean, Hillary herself is bought and paid for by the Saudi government, so there's no right. question she's not. going
0: So it. would,
1: the, the, would right, Trump, the right? Would
0: Trump the, do anything about it? Would Trump do anything about it? I don't know. I mean,
1: Trump's. You know, if if Trump, I, you know, Trump would have to actually think and, and and read and you know and act and think about things, and I don't think he's capable of doing that. I mean, the right doesn't want to do it because it really is a criticism of Bush, and they're still not. They're still not able to look Bush in the eye and say, you, sir, were a disaster for the United States. Your foreign policy was a disaster. Your domestic policy was a disaster. Your spying on Americans was a disaster. Right. Everything about you was so, a disaster. So,
0: so, like the, so, so, so like with everything else, the, the question about Trump is we, we don't know, basically. Yeah, um, I have no idea. I, I, so I've got I've got only 4 minutes left and I want to ask you about one more topic. Okay. You said you had something sure. to say about Milo. Yeah, you know, I
1: mean, these
0: um these for mean, people I who don't know my, Milo Yiannopoulos, uh my gay boyfriend has been banned from Twitter.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, he 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 was banned cuz he said something mean about a black actress from that uh, new Ghostbusters movie.
0: Yeah. Um
1: and and
0: and for those who want to read about the controversy, they can go to my blog and see the whole back and forth. yeah. but yeah, my my
1: my view is these big social media companies are less and less purely private companies and more and more extensions of the government. This is certainly true with Google and Facebook, who um, who who get you know huge favors from the government. In fact, Google itself is an arm of the Democratic National Committee for God's sake. Um, but I think Twitter is is wanting to go the same way. I think there's a, a, a I think th- they have some financial problems and they, they want to also become the arm of the DNC to try and make back by political favoritism what they sort of lost in the market. And I think this is just one of those things. So I do object when people say, well this isn't censorship because Twitter is a private company. Yeah. You know, the this, yeah. this line between public and private is is much, much is, blurred. It's getting
0: nowadays. blurred. It's definitely definitely than getting, it, getting it has
1: been before. So now no this and, is, and, this and this a lot is, of it too I think
0: because of the you know those consent decrees that various agencies of the government enter into with Facebook and Twitter, I think it gives them yeah. uh,
1: you know Absolutely.
0: an armed an arm to twist in these places. And it's pretty sad, uh, about that. Yeah, that's absolutely So, true. Oh, yeah. um, so Ed, I'm sorry, I do have to let you go now because I am totally okay, bye out bye of bye. time, but I do thank you for that's calling in and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk after we'll
1: Hillary's th- catastrophe. I'm
0: yeah, calling sounds criminals
1: good. in Philly.
0: Okay. That sounds good. We'll, we'll hear from you probably next week then as well. Um, On the rest of the things that I've got over in the program notes at the blog at DontLetItGo.com, check them out. Uh, One thing I wanted to say is, you know, again, Donald Trump's speech, as I was talking about earlier, it's all about people, right, people and their contents of their consciousness, but not any particular ideas, kind of their beliefs and their dreams, and they want to make America great somehow. Whereas if you look at Ted Cruz's speech, and again, I've got the link to the text of his speech He focuses on the fact that America was created on an idea, and he focuses on freedom. That is what sets him, I believe, above Donald Trump, an idea that will actually tell you concretely what it is that you do to make America great again, which is make America free. Again, as many of my Facebook friends have put out there um, You can also see some of the news About other important things of the week uh, or Turkey, we're going to have to talk about Turkey I think in a future show Because that's very important what's gone there The the coup and now the fact that Turkey Seems like it's going to be much less free And the Second Circuit um, Issuing great decisions on privacy We're going to have to pick those up Probably next week So thanks everyone for tuning in For indulging me as I analyze Trump's speech I hope you got something out of it And I look forward to talking to you next time, right here, it's going to be 3.30, excuse me, 3 o'clock p.m. next Friday, 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, and I'll talk to you then. Take care.